Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Good morning. Everyone okay? So encouraging, challenging. Thanks, Hugh, for that. It's beautiful. And um, so encouraging as well when you've prepared to speak and you've spent time sort of praying and um, reading the Word and all that to have so much of it already said, already spoken through the team as they led worship through different um, people as they've shared. It's just really, really encouraging. Um, we're going to continue looking through the book of 1 Peter. Has it, have people been reading that? Anyone been reading that? Great. Good to see that. It's good to read that in your kind of own devotional time. And um, today what we're going to do is look at 1 Peter 1, um, beginning at verse 13. So remember that, um, as Tim introduced, and we talked about this last week as well, this is a letter written to Christians who are sort of mostly Gentiles, so people who aren't Jewish, um, so those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ from all kinds of nationalities, really people like you and people like me, and it's so relevant when we start looking through these verses at what Peter says. So why don't you turn in your Bibles, if you've got a Bible with you, turn to 1 Peter, or turn on your phone, however you want to do it. And um, yeah, we're going to start 1 Peter 1 verse 13. It says this, it says, therefore, so I'm going to stop us right there. That's a good place to stop. Therefore, someone once told me that whenever you see, therefore, in the Bible, some of you will know this, you have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore, Wee, very good. And, and that's a good principle, isn't it? Because if we continue reading these verses without stopping and saying, well, what is this therefore, therefore, then we can actually miss the whole point of, of what is being said. And basically, therefore means what we, this is our translation, the English translation, in, if you like, in light of what has been said before. So sort of in view of all of this that has been said, now, either do this, or in view of this, this is what you need to think, or in view of this, this is the way it is. And this is so often the case in the letters of the New Testament, that they'll spend lots of verses, or even lots of chapters, talking about something, maybe going through some theology, explaining a load of things, and then they'll turn and they'll say, therefore, in light of all of this, now do this, or in light of this, this is the truth, and so on. So it's an important thing to watch. Whenever you see that word, therefore, don't forget to stop, rewind a bit, and remind yourself what has gone before. Because for some things, it really doesn't matter which way round they go. For example, who thinks that the, the best way to make a cup of tea is to put the milk in first, and then pour the tea in? Anyone hands up if that's you? Milk first? Oh, it's a minority view. Liz won't be happy with that. It's a minority. Okay, some of you are going to say, I don't care. Well, I'll do one of those. Who thinks that you should put the tea in first and then add the milk in? Hands up. Wow, that has taken me aback, that has. What we're going to do is have a Sunday morning where Liz will come and explain why the majority of you are wrong. Okay, so how about scones or scones? Jam first and then cream. Hands up, jam first. Cream first and then jam. My theory on that is because we live too far away from Cornwall. So hardly of us ever go, so we do it the Devon way, don't we? 
So the reality is, contrary to Liz's opinion, and lots of, Liz is my wife, by the way, if anyone doesn't know, that's why I'm mocking her. I'm not just picking out a random person. Um, contrary to popular opinion, it doesn't really matter the way around you put these things. I'm sorry, it doesn't really matter. It's a matter of opinion. Your way, my way, you're saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter, honestly. However, if I came to you and I said, um, which way round should you put the wheel nuts and the wheels on your car? The way I'm going to do it is I'm going to put the wheel nuts on first, and then I'm going to put the wheel on. What would you say? That's madness. And, uh, yeah, it might not work. So, what... Now, I might say, well, I've got everything that I need there. I've got wheel nuts, I've got the wheels, everything's fine. And you would know that one way around, I would be shooting down the motorway at 70 mile an hour, perfectly safe, everything's fine. The other way around, wheels are shooting off left, right, and center, and everything's in chaos. So some things, it really matters, the way around, the order that we have them. And that is the truth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really, really matters the way round that we place things, the order that we have things. It doesn't, it's not just a case of having all the bits and the pieces that are there, but we have to think about the process and the order that we place them. So the world says, this is a worldly kind of view, if you're good enough, if you're smart enough, if you're funny enough, if you're rich enough, then you are loved, accepted, known, uh, and valued. That's kind of what our world says. We see that, don't we, the, the kind of rising YouTube stars. You know, these amazingly funny, creative, do things that sort of blow your mind kind of people. You think everyone wants to be their friend. Everyone wants to know them. They're popular and great, and therefore they're loved and valued uh, and known. Religion, in the sense, not in the sense of a good religion, but a religious kind of cold, dusty behavior, says that if you follow the rules, if you do this, if you are pure enough, if you're good enough, if you're holy enough, then you'll be accepted, loved, known, and appreciated. So in this way, sort of, this is a way of seeing the world that our performance determines our position. Okay? Our performance in these ways of thinking determines our position. If we perform well enough, then our position will be one of love and acceptance and appreciation. However, the gospel turns this completely the other way around. The gospel says that you are known, you are seen, you are loved, you are accepted in Christ, and therefore now go and live in this way, in a way that reflects the reality of who you are. So the, uh, in the gospel, performance, the way that we live, is determined by our position. Yeah? Our position determines our performance, not our performance determines our position. And this is a massive shift in the way that the majority of our world, whether faith-filled, you know, sort of religious or non-religious, this is a hugely different way of seeing the world. And this isn't just unique to the gospel in the sense that God sort of in the Old Testament lived a different way. We can sometimes look at the law, can't we, and say that God used to love kind of making people do rules and laws and that. And then something weird happened in the New Testament. He sort of came up with a different way. That's not the case. Because actually, when you look at the story of Israel, law 
always followed salvation. Yeah, the law was given. What came before the law? Exodus. God raised up his people out of Exodus. He saved them salvation. He loved them, drew them out, and then gave them the law that they might live in the way that he had called them to live. So, therefore, what is the therefore, therefore in this passage? The therefore is there to remind us whatever Peter writes next is dependent on whatever he has already said. Whatever Peter says now is dependent on what he has said. So what has he said before? Well, for those of you last week, you don't need a recap. We, we talked about last week. For those of you who couldn't make it, very, very quickly, we talked about the living hope that we have in Christ that is held securely in the hands of God through faith. We saw how this hope of resurrection, our inheritance, is imperishable, is undefiled, unfading. We saw how this inheritance is for those who have been born again in Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. Therefore, do you get it? Therefore, based on all of that, that we sort of spent 30 odd minutes talking about last time and could have spent much longer, therefore live in this way. So let's look at what Peter says and continue the passage. Starting at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with uh, perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this, is, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Father, I pray that you just speak those words into our heart, Lord, and that uh, we would grasp something of your majesty, your holiness, and what you call us to, in Jesus' name. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, If... You have tasted that the Lord is good, then live in this way. What is that way? Verse 15 and 16 says, but, he, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, 
You shall be holy, for I am holy. Holiness is the way that we're to live in light of all that Christ has done for us, in light of the living hope that we have now. Whenever you mention holiness, you can feel the room shift a little bit. (laughs) It's sort of not something really that we like to massively talk about uh, in our day. And for many of us, it will fill us with a sense of dread, maybe. Many of us might have had preachers or parents or friends who sort of taught us about holiness with a wagging finger, you know, telling us that you need to be holy or this is what holiness is about. We even say, don't we, oh, they think that they're holier than thou. A sort of sense that somebody thinks that they're better than other people, superior to other people. And most of us, I imagine, will just naturally connect holiness with sin. We make that automatic jump from holiness to sin, that being holy means having no sin. And although that is partly true, actually the concept of holiness in the Bible is so much more rich than that just simple avoidance of sin. It's so much more complex and precious uh, when we really get into it. Peter, in this passage, is quoting uh, Leviticus 11.44 and other places in the Leviticus and, um, and the Torah in the first five books of the Bible, where God calls his people. He will say this, now you come and you be holy as I am holy. And God's holiness isn't just rooted in sinlessness, although obviously it is sinless. It is rooted in this idea that God is actually unlike anything that we know. That God is separate and distinctive from that that we understand. That he is somehow beyond what we can know. Moses sings a song in Exodus and he says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And so it's not just God's sinlessness that makes him holy. Actually, it's all of the attributes of God that are beyond what we are or what we know. It's God's amazing benevolent love that makes that, that we declare he is holy. It's his um, unending compassion. It's his mercy. It's his forgiveness. All the qualities that Israel would celebrate and sing about and talk about in God declare that this God, who is like you, God, you're so far beyond my understanding. You're so far beyond what I can comprehend and what I could know. And for some of us, you know, you automatically feel condemned when I say we are to be holy because you think that you could never be holy. You're just not that kind of person. And if you think that, then I would say you've got the gospel the wrong way around. You've put the, the nuts on the car before you've slotted the wheels on. You've got it the wrong way around. You're thinking of holiness in a worldly way or a religious way. If I do this, if I don't do that, then I will be holy. You're seeing your performance as determining your position. But listen to what Peter says. We'll come to this in a few weeks' time uh, looking through this book. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, he says, You are a holy nation. 
that's who you are. You're a holy nation. He doesn't say, now, really try and be a holy nation. He doesn't say, if you do this list of things and you quite just about make it, then you'll become a holy nation. He says, in Christ, because of what Jesus has done, because of his performance, because of what he has done, now you are a holy nation. So Peter's encouragement to his readers is to be holy as God is holy, to live out that holiness that they have already have in Christ. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be holy? What, what am I talking about? And there's loads we could talk about. If we had a few hours together, we could explore what that is all about. And the whole topic of holiness is a fascinating topic, especially when you really dig into some of the Old Testament passages and things. But what I want to do is focus just on two things that Peter seems to highlight in this passage and links it to holiness. And I hope at least one of them will be a bit of a surprise for you. Firstly, Peter says, holiness looks like love for one another. He says, now that, you've been purified, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And I'm sure this reflects Jesus' teaching that we read in John 13 and 15, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then in 15, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down that his life for his friends. Isn't it interesting that the passage that Peter quotes, where it says, be holy, for I am holy, is right in the middle of the book of Leviticus. A book that is, talks, well, almost obsessed with holiness. It talks about holy objects, about holy priests, about holy processes, about holy sacrifices, about purifying things, holiness, holiness, holiness. And then it talks about, now go and love God and love God. Um, your neighbor as you love yourself. And that can seem odd to us. We sort of don't naturally, I don't think, connect holiness and love. We don't seem to see them. But I don't think that's strange for God. I think God sees them as connected, love and holiness. Part of God's holiness is about his vast, unchanging, benevolent and incredible love. And he calls us to be the same. Be holy as I am holy. Of course, we know that Jesus takes this idea of love to a whole new level. He doesn't just say, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love one another as I love you, as I have loved you. Now you are to love one another. And of course, we know that this kind of love is not possible simply just through our own effort. We need the Spirit in us. We need God working in us to transform us, to love one another in this way. So therefore, remember the therefore, in light of the living hope that we have, in light of all that God has done for us, therefore, go and be holy. Go and love one another as Jesus has loved you. Secondly, holiness does look like putting aside sinful living. In 1 Peter 2 verse 1 to 2, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. 
And then um, before that, he says in 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So Peter here seems to be addressing um, those you know, Gentiles who would have had all kinds of um, practices in their, by their forefathers, things that have been handed down to them. Maybe you know, they've worshipped in uh, pagan temples. Uh, maybe they indulged in sinful living. Um, and he seems to highlight, interestingly, sins that really break up community and love for each other. He talks about um, deception, envy, malicious words or action, or slandering one another. And what Peter says is, look, now that you have this inheritance from God, now that you have this living hope, now you have this incredible thing that's been given to you, put those things away. Put them away. You don't need to be practicing those things anymore. And I really think, just notice the tone that Peter uses here. He doesn't freak out about sin. He doesn't come wagging a finger at sin and these kind of things. He doesn't get on a pedestal and start pointing at people. He just says, look, Put these things away. Put them away now. Don't be conformed to these things. There's so much um, interest in what Joy shared about, you know, this parenting language. This idea that a holy God we don't, you know, sort of cower in the corner towards. In Christ, it comes, you know, his language is like obedient children. Isn't that interesting? God says to you, obedient children, put these things away. He says like newborn infants talks about longing for pure spiritual milk. Again, this idea of an infant. And he talks about growing up into salvation. Peter doesn't come with condemning words. Peter doesn't come with judgmental words. He comes with loving words, speaking to his children, saying, put your malice and your slander and your hypocrisy and your envy away now. This is not the way that you are to live in the light of all that Christ has done for you. You know that you're seen, you know that you're known, you know that you're loved, that you're accepted. You don't need those things anymore. Let's put them away. These former passions are part of a former life, part of an old life. Put these things away. C.S. Lewis once famously said that the challenge for humans is not that our passions are too great, but that actually our passions are too small. And we're so often like children, you know, sitting and playing in mud puddles when God wants to take us to the beach. That's my paraphrase. I think it's a great way of looking at it, isn't it? When we're, in, you know, when we're taking part in slandering someone, talking behind someone's back, hypocrisy, envy, any of these kind of things, really we're playing in muddy puddles, indulging ourselves when actually God wants to bring us to the beach. He wants to show us his holiness and bring us into that great way of living. So, what does this mean for our lives? What does this mean as we try and live out this passage? Well, first of all, I'll say what I said last week. Get connected into understanding the greatness of what God has done through Christ. Get to know the living hope that you have. If you don't have that, it will always be a struggle. It's like the engine. You know, if you don't have the engine in a car, all of the other bits are going to really struggle. The engine, I think, of our lives and the way that we live has to be our awe, our worship, our, um, our amazement, our wonder at what Christ has done uh, and what God has done in Christ 
and through his life, death, and resurrection. We need that. Romans 12 says, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I don't think we can ever really offer our bodies as a sacrifice, as a life given to God, you know, giving our life and living each day for him. That's what we mean by that. Living each day for him. I don't think we can ever do that if we don't really grapple and understand the vastness of his love for us, who he is, his amazing forgiveness. And that's part of the reason we do what we do when we gather. We sing, don't we, to remind ourselves. And that's why we preach, so that we can grapple again. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we meet in community, so that we can talk about who this amazing God is. It's encouraging to hear the story from um, North Korea. You have people that their whole ex- external experience is awful, and yet their wonder and their awe of who God is and what he has done. They see themselves as blessed. So I'd say that first. First of all, do that. Secondly, I would say, go find some Christians to love. Okay? Find some Christians to love. If you want to grow in holiness, practice loving other people. Practice loving, and here Peter talks about other Christians, loving one another. Find yourself a small group. Find yourself a few friends. Join a community group. Practice loving other people. We need to be practicing this stuff. When they're mean to you, love them back. When they don't meet your expectations, keep on loving them. This is what it means to be holy as God is holy. Grow up in the faith. Learn to grow into the person that God has called you to be. And secondly, put away any sinful living that you're aware of. And I really want to make sure we don't freak out at this. At times, church has been bad at sort of making a big deal of things that Peter, I think, sort of says, look, just put them aside. And some of us will need help with that. Some of us have tried to put some of our sinful living aside, things that we know are wrong, we don't want to do. We've tried and we tried and we tried and we can't do it. So to you, I'd say find some people to help you with that. Find some friends that would journey that stuff through with you. Maybe talk you know, to a professional or to someone, a Christian, who's a bit further down the road. If you struggle with things and you know that you want to put them aside, get some help doing that. But Peter says, you know, be holy as God is holy. Put these things to one side. Why don't we welcome the band back? We're going to close. And my prayer for all of us uh, during this series, but, you know, obviously beyond this series as well, is that we would grow, as Peter says, grow in our holiness. That we would become more and more like God. Not because we have to. Not because, you know, we're fearful and and terrified if we don't, but because this is the joy of the life that God has called each and every one of us to and continues to call us to. Why don't we pray as we close? So, Father God, I just thank you that you love us. I thank you that your message to us, Lord, is not a message of condemnation, but a message of love. And a message of invitation, Lord. A message to come and be the people that you have created and called us to be. And my prayer, Lord, is that no one here would feel condemned. Actually, when we start talking about holiness, Lord, we would get excited and impassioned and just look forward to growing and becoming more and more like you 
each day. We just thank you for what you're doing amongst us. And we glorify you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.